Welcome to The Rock Pod, presented from the Royal Oak, Michigan Chamber of Commerce. I am John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Lisa Bibby, your neighborhood realtor with Keller Williams Advantage. And I'm Trish Carruth, third generation jeweler and owner of Your Personal Jeweler. Excited for today's guest, Joel Chinsky of JDC Tech, connected by Perry Gray, who you may have seen at various chamber events. Uh, Joel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So how did you get started in the world of IT? Let's take us back to the beginning. Well, we have to go way back to my childhood. Okay. Back in the 80s, my father worked for a company that was very ahead of its time. And they allowed him to work from home, Mm -hmm. which meant that we were one of the very few at the time in the late 80s that had a home computer. Okay. You know, back then when we used to have our beloved Radio Shacks around town, um, that's where we got our home computer, a dot matrix printer that would, you could hear it from like a block away. <laughs> Wee! Oh yeah. And my dad would print reports. So it would take hours. It seemed like, but yeah, I just, I fell in love with playing around with the computer, played some games on the computer, learned some basic programming. Uh, fast forward a little bit. We purchased our next computer, a Packard Bell, probably from like CompUSA or, you know, service merchandise at the time. A lot had changed with technology. I was still very involved in learning, playing. And, you know, my parents saw that. They saw that I was very interested in technology and taking things apart, figuring out how they ticked. So much so that my parents would also use that to their advantage when it came time to punish me as a child. You know, (laughs) if I got in trouble, I'd say, Okay, no computer time. They really were ahead of their time because they're they're your dad's working from home and they're taking away your electronics. Exactly. Exactly. However, back then, there used to be a key on the front of every computer. That key would actually lock the keyboard. Okay. So when I was grounded, my parents would turn the key at night, (laughs) go to bed, and then I wouldn't be able to use the computer. Uh, Until one day, I decided to take apart the computer in the middle of the night. And I followed the wires from the lock to the motherboard, unhooked it. (laughs) So literally, this went on for about a month. My parents would lock the computer when they went to bed. (laughs) I'd wait for them to fall asleep. I'd come downstairs, turn on the computer, and they had no idea that the computer worked just fine. Brilliant. You know, so the whole time. So what's really nice about the story is come full circle, being an adult with my own child, You know, when I shared this with my father, I mean, we definitely had a good laugh about it. You know, just he thought he was punishing me and then I found a way around it. (laughs) It it just shows if there's a will, there's a way. And, you know, again, that's where I attribute a lot of my troubleshooting skills today is not accepting no. You know, not being willing to say, okay, it's broken, can't be fixed. You know, are you sure it can't be fixed? Are you sure there isn't a way? And I think those skills today helped me elevate my company and where we are as a team today. Uh, Shortly after that, my father loaned me some money to match some money that I had saved up to actually build our first home computer. Oh, wow. And I don't know, you know, how many listeners remember something called Computer Shopper, but it was a magazine, like literally like two feet tall by two inches (laughs) thick. Yeah, all your all your references today, Joel, service merchandise and Radio Shack. And yeah, I miss it. Folks listening of a certain age who are just way in on this right now. Oh, yeah. So this book, which was huge, and I think it came out monthly, had every computer part vendor 
I think in the nation, I don't know if it was international back then, but I handpicked all the components that I needed. We purchased them. And one of the interesting things that I, you know, take from it is it took me six days before I could even get it to turn on. (laughs) And shortly thereafter, I mean, it's just one of those, once you learn, you can, you know, get better and better. I mean, I could build a computer in 30 minutes, you know, shortly after that. Um, But, you know, that struggle, getting through the problem solving is really what helped me start, you know, that career path down technology. Um, Shortly thereafter, I was building and selling them to neighbors. (laughs) And believe it or not, some of those neighbors are clients still today from 30 years ago. Wow. So it's a pretty neat you know, journey that I've been on from 11 years old, you know, to now, you never know where life is going to take you. And I was obviously destined, you know, to work with technology. Yes. So when did you start your business and why? So I started the business in 2007 and I had worked for numerous large companies, you know, where you would just sit in a cube and you were on a help desk and you were just a number. I wanted more. I wanted to do more for companies. I wanted to do more for myself. And some of the large companies that I worked for, um, Pfizer and Ann Arbor, Johnson Controls, Domino's headquarters, and even Ford, you know, over like a 10, 12 year span, I learned a lot. You know, every job you learn, you gain ability. Um, But what I kept on seeing is not enough progress. You know, companies could replace things sooner or they could have better software or they could even buy better technology, but they were so short-sighted. You know, they would save 10% and not realize the negative impact, right? Of not investing in a tool for themselves. That's how I look at it. Computers that we buy are a tool that we want to use for business or pleasure, but you want that tool to run well and not slow you down. And after a long time of just being squeezed and, you know, being overworked, and not being heard, I just made the decision that, you know, it's not for me. You know, I'm not built to live within these guidelines to help people benefit the most from technology. And that's really why I started JDC Tech, because I wanted to bring the right solution at the right time, high quality, and have standards and not go below those standards. And that's what I hold true today and my team as well. I hold everyone to those standards. So Jill, you talked about benefits and this world is changing so fast, especially when we're talking about technology. So how do you educate your clients on upcoming technology benefits and or risks? Yeah, so that's that's a big part of any technology business these days. As a starting point, I have to do it myself every day. Every day I have to be involved in educating myself. That never stops. Uh, We are a part of numerous security and IT peer groups that allow me to pick other companies' brains. You know, how do they do this? How do they protect their companies from that? How do they service their clientele the best they can? And with all that knowledge that we gain on a weekly and monthly basis, I take the highlights of that and either implement what I need to implement or I go to our client base and educate them through newsletters, social media posts, you know, direct emails if like I know a client specifically needs something addressed. We just have to constantly be educators because no one wants to feel like they're being sold to. 
And, you know, a lot of times in my industry, there's a lot of sales around IT and it's not really focused on the solution, you know? So I really try to focus on what need am I trying to fill? What am I trying to protect our clients from? And it just makes the conversation easier because it, it no longer is a sales conversation. It's more, why are we working with this company? What are they doing for us? What is the outcome of these solutions? And really just keep it factual instead of emotional and, you know, just because a vendor approached me and they want me to sell their solution. That's not how we operate. Jill, I'm curious. Um, speaking of upcoming technology, I'm just curious if you've put any thought into how AI will affect IT. It definitely is going to have an impact. I think it's still too early to know how far reaching the impact. I know in the education sector, it's becoming a problem because obviously people can use it to write papers for them and do their homework and answer questions that they're supposed to know or learn, you know, from school. With technology, we can use it to our advantage, but at the same time, the bad actors can use it to their advantage. So when I say that, we can use it to, let's say, write some programming. If we don't want to write a script to do a certain job function, we can automate certain processes. And I think that's where AI will help everybody. It doesn't have to be, you know, someone who is as technical per se as us. Uh, you could use AI to do something specific on your computer, you know, make setting changes, alert you at a certain time when something happens. So I think it's interesting, too, because AI has actually been around for like over 70 years. It's just gotten really good in like the last nine months, <laughs> you know, and it's changed so drastically. So now it's starting to show up and a lot of people think this is a brand new thing that's out there. But it's actually been an ongoing process for a really long time. I mean, think about you type in if you want to learn something and where do you go? Google. That is literally the brain of AI. It's kind of fascinating. You know, and, and full disclosure, the way I produce this podcast is I enhance all of our audio with AI. Uh, you wouldn't know listening right now, but Joel's on a headset mic and it's going to sound loud by the time you hear this that he's in a studio. And then I also use uh, AI to write some of the show notes for the show. But I think it's important to know that all AI should have a human check on it. So I will go through the audio after I run through AI. I will go through and tweak and rewrite show notes after the AI writes it. So your point is well taken, Joe, where it's a tool but it's not a replacement, I think. Correct. Yes, 100%. <laughs> that actually leads me to my next question, Joel, which is, this is something I'm sure you get every day, but what security concerns do companies ignore until they're forced to deal with them? Well, I would say the easy answer is all. <laughs> and unfortunately, that's true more than not. Uh, but, you know, as an example, HIPAA and PCI, those are two very common terms that are thrown around. So HIPAA in the medical field, what is PCI? So PCI is anyone who takes credit cards, anyone who has a business that takes credit cards has to be PCI compliant. You know, sometimes the risk is put on the credit card processor. Sometimes they throw it back at the company. But the real issue is there's not a lot of enforcement. So if you had a list of a thousand things that you have to do to make sure your environment is secure and to make sure that you're protecting client data, you may be doing 10% of that. And when you get an audit from your credit card processor or your insurance company, a lot of times people are just agreeing to it. They're saying, yes, 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 yes. Number one, either they don't understand it or they don't care. And I think that's the larger issue is there's really not a lot of teeth in HIPAA and PCI compliance. So if there isn't going to be someone knocking on your door and saying, show me 
you're PCI compliant. Show me you're HIPAA compliant. People are not going to take it as serious as they should. And, you know, a final note to that FTC safeguard rule is something newer that got updated. It's been around for a while, but it got updated and it applies to way more businesses than they even realize. And we're starting to educate our clients on that because there are enforcement agents that will be going door to door and will be auditing, you know, these businesses, individuals. Doesn't matter if you're a one person CPA firm or if you're an enterprise, you still have to comply if you're within their purview and their guidelines. So, Joel, what are some of the best practices to keep us safe from cyber threats? And I mean us because we're not all tech savvy people. (laughs) Absolutely. So, firstly, it starts with passwords. I think most people can agree. Everyone has passwords and too many people have spreadsheets or Word documents with (laughs) passwords. Um, That's not generally best practice, but the most important thing about passwords is having a unique password for every single site and service. The first thing an attacker is going to do if they ever get a username and a password is they're going to try it on all the common sites, Facebook, Twitter, Bank of America, Chase, you know, investment houses. So it's really important because if one of your credentials gets stolen, you don't want to make it easy for someone to get in to something else. And then how do we manage that? Well, the only way to really manage it is through a password manager. So it's literally a piece of software that you've got one master password. You've got multi-factor where it will like ping your cell phone with a text, you know, to make sure you get in. But the benefit of that is it houses hundreds, thousands of passwords that you can generate and you never have to remember them because you're just clicking copy, paste, copy, paste. And that's really the safest way. I'll say, Joel, I, I, you're preaching to the choir there. I had my Facebook, not hacked, but spoofed a year or two ago. So I got one of those password manager apps and I went into my Google Chrome and there must have been 300 passwords saved in my Google Chrome. So I blew them all out and I started new in this password manager app that I only need to know the master password for that, mm-hmm. that app to open it. I couldn't tell you what any of my passwords for Facebook or my bank are now because it's all within the app. It's wonderful. That's really what everyone needs, including multi-factor, anything that's your bank, right? Any in your social media accounts. Mm. My father also had his LinkedIn account breached and stolen. He never got it back. Mm. He had probably a thousand, two thousand connections. There's no recourse, you know, to things like that. So it's really important that we all take ownership and protect all of our critical accounts. Do you have a favorite one that you can recommend? Or is it just like, I know Google has their own password keeper type situation. From your perspective, what are the best ones? It's typically frowned upon to use the browser. You know, certain browsers may be more secure than others to store passwords. As long as you've got a multi-factor protection mechanism, like on your Google account or your Microsoft account, um, those are still decent solutions. If you're looking for more of a standalone Bitwarden, which is free for personal use. Anyone can use it. It is one of the safest and best that we've seen. You know, there, if you Google it, you know, there's lots. There's NordPass, Dashlane, Password Boss, Keeper. They're all good. I think I have one password. Yeah, one password is definitely another popular. Um, I would say the one to stay away from currently is LastPass. They've had a lot of security concerns. They had a breach lately, didn't they? They've had multiple. 
Oh, good to know. Okay. That's just what we're seeing. You know, I'm not trying to sell you on a particular one or not, uh, but those are the general ones that we see our clients use. Yeah, it can definitely be scary for being on the internet um, and staying safe is very important. But outside of IT, what do you do in your free time? Travel, family. We love road trips. Anytime we can drive somewhere and, you know, see more of the country. I try and I'm a big planner, so I like to plan, you know, okay, if we're driving through New York, this is what I want to see. If we're driving through Pennsylvania, this is, you know, let's stop here. I think that people miss out on that, you know, by flying more so than taking road trips. And we love being up north, you know, especially this time of year with the color changes. And we just love Michigan. All the seasons, all the different activities that happen, the fall cider mills, you know, the winter, you know, sledding and skiing and such. We love it here. Awesome. All right, Joel, it is now time for our fishbowl question of the day where we pull a totally random question to ask you. Uh, let's see, Lisa, would you pull our fishbowl question, please? All right, let's dig in here. If you lost all of your possessions but one, what would you want it to be? I think I could probably guess what this one is. <laughs> <laughs> so we're just physical. All of our physical possessions. Possessions. <laughs> probably my phone. That's what I would have said. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're just for so needy with that device knowledge playing around and we we need it to run our lives yeah you know to get into our bank accounts and communicate so yeah definitely my phone and we've all had that moment where we can't find our phone or unfortunately if someone lost their phone yeah it's horrible and it's in your pocket you know where is my phone <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> well thanks joe so much for being on if our audience would like to reach you what is the best way they can call us 248 248- Four nine four seven two five three, and they're also welcome to email me directly, Joel at jdctek.com. I also want to give a shout out to Perry, who is on the call, listening, not on mic today, but uh, he uh, set this up for us, and you've probably run into him at uh, many chamber events. You can also talk to Perry when you're at a Royal Oak Chamber event. Thanks so much for coming on today, Joel. My name is Lisa Bibby, and I'm a realtor with Keller Williams Advantage. I put the real back in realtor. We want you to love where you live. Call for a free consultation. My website is soldbylisab.com, and you can find me on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at soldbylisab. And I'm Trish Carruth, third-generation jeweler and owner of Your Personal Jeweler. I specialize in creating custom engagement rings, wedding rings, and fine jewelry. You can find me online on Instagram and Facebook at The Personal Jeweler or our website www.thepersonaljeweler.com or at our Royal Oak location on 4th and Washington. And I am John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcast. If you like the way this show sounds and would like me to create a podcast for you or your business, you can find me at jagindetroit.com or on any social media at jagindetroit. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Rock Pod, produced for the Royal Oak, Michigan Chamber of Commerce. For more information about the chamber and how to get involved, you can visit royaloakchamber.com. Thanks, everyone. 